0: Welcome to Bell Curve. I am Liz Shears, joined by my beautiful co-hosts, Mary Scott Hunter and Rachel Briers. We are so excited to be back on your favorite podcast app to talk to you about something you can't, probably can't scroll through one of your other favorite apps for 30 seconds without seeing either a hashtag or a graphic or a video proclaiming the virtues of self-care. So before I share my thoughts, ladies, I wanted to ask: what, what, when you think of the term self-care, what does your mind's eye kind of conjure? I have to admit, it generally conjures for me a bunch of fairly silly advice that feels
1: out of sync with my actual life. <laughs> like you know, going to get my nails done, or really anything that involves appointments and waiting and sitting there thinking about what I'm not doing is not going to relax me whatsoever. But I think you know we hear that one a lot. Like, oh, you feel stressed? Well, you know. Go get your nails done. (laughs) I guess I don't love the term self-care and most of the advice about how to do it, but I do think that the concept is important.
2: Right. Right after I hear somebody tell me about self-care, right after I want to punch myself in the face, I want to punch them in the face. Because (laughs) like I don't have time. I don't have time for a massage. I don't have time for a mani petty. I don't have time. And I don't find those things generally relaxing. I guess the things that you scrolling through Facebook, you know, we went for a girl day. I think I don't have time for a girl day. I I think that I'm probably a little too, you know, off the reservation on this and I need to relax a little bit. And so I'm looking forward to today because I don't really understand what self-care means. I hope it doesn't mean that I have to go get a, you know, a a pedicure when I don't want one. I, I hope it means that there's, that, you, that self-care is important because it, it it builds you It's edifying but i don't i confess i don't understand the term i don't like it i feel like it, it it makes me impatient it makes me feel like I'm failing because i'm not doing what i'm supposed to be doing for myself so yeah so that's that's kind of is that' is- Well, it sounds like I'm in good
0: company, honestly,
2: because personally, I struggle with the concept. And
0: before we go into any more, let's hear a word from our sponsors over at Higher Echelon.
1: Oh, I'd love to talk about Higher Echelon. So ladies, you know how in most organizations, there are recurring problems with people, processes, or technology that just keep coming up over and over, almost like an injury or toothache, or maybe like a splinter that You try to ignore, but it just keeps giving you pain, getting in your way, and just never seems to get resolved. You know, it could be problems with leadership or alignment between divisions, conflict resolution, time management. It could be problems like maybe outdated or time-consuming processes that everyone knows needs to change, but maybe no one feels equipped with the time or expertise to figure out and address. Well, there is a solution. Higher Echelon is a consulting partner who comes alongside leaders and teams to diagnose what's going on and quickly implement the right solutions to cure those ailments and get you seeing real results that affect everything, including your bottom line. 2022 can be the year that your team finally makes that process pivot. that's going to give you back hundreds of hours and saved work time. It can be the year that your team finally gets trained in ways that are going to increase productivity and make everyone happier in the meantime. Higher Echelon wants to be your trusted partners in organizational excellence, taking you from where you are to where you want to be. Reach out at higherechelon.com to learn more. That's H-I-G-H-E-R-E-C-H-E-L-O-N.com. Or you can reach out to me, Rachel Breyers, on LinkedIn.
0: Something you just said, Rachel, really resonated with me about appointments for like, so I'm supposed to get my hair trimmed tomorrow and I am already resenting the fact that I have to go like spend some of my day off after a very busy week to go sit in a chair and like, look at myself with like the wet hair. And you just look like a, you know, a wet, a wet rat. And you're just like, I feel terrible the whole time you're in self care. It's self-care. And I mean, and those things are, you know, getting a haircut is important. I just, I don't want to spend my morning doing that. Um, but so I, I find myself coming to resent some of those like appointment based self-care things, especially, um, like getting my nails done, like getting my hair done. So that's why I don't dye my hair. And I, Rarely having my nails done, but again, like I personally, I really struggle with this concept, and, and it's honestly not because I feel like I don't deserve it or I'm not worth taking the extra time to treat myself. But it feels like when when we hear that term self care and try to implement it in our own lives, it feels like we're really chasing someone else's version of self care, or that's how I feel anyway. You know, self care that looks more like an unhealthy indulgence, procrastination, or honestly selfish consumerism um you know i love i love the show parks and rec and it they have these episodes where they talk about treat self. and um two of the characters go and they go to the mall and they just buy a bunch of stuff and it's the stuff that they you know they save up all year so they can buy all the stuff that they wanted and that is their treat self. Um, day but then for other people it looks completely different and um in the first episode where they talk about this one of the characters ben wyatt he is sitting here with like needles in his face for acupuncture which is exactly what one of the other people wants to do and he's just like you can see him so tense and uncomfortable because it wasn't his version of Trecho self. and when they did find that um he ended up <laughs> buying for himself something really silly but it made him really happy so that isn't to say, like, like in that example, that there isn't self-care, a self-care practice in some of those more indulgent things. I just see when I think about those things, I see my gravitate myself gravitating toward thinking I can like snack or avoid or buy my way into happiness and peace. And that just isn't true. It turns out I'm not the only one to who feels this way. And and y'all gave a couple examples a minute ago, but Do you ever encounter internal resistance or regret when you exercise the kind of TikTok psychology definition of self-care?
2: I have an example of this lately. I was having some back pain after a skiing fall. So I made an appointment to, uh, and the the fall was last year, and it was kind of the back pain was lingering, lingering. So this past fall, before the ski season started, I said, okay, I'm going to go get a a massage to see if that helps and um, it did it was a great massage at a local place they did a wonderful job and and I would go there again but while I was there I got talked into this monthly massage deal and I signed up for it because I thought well I enjoyed this it'll be self-care it's a good little piece of self-care I think the the lady who was selling it to me actually used her and she did her job she was a wonderful salesman and that's what she's supposed to do and I bought it the next month rolled around, and I didn't need a massage, and it just felt like, I mean, I just like, I don't really want to lay on a table for an hour, um, and I felt, and then I felt bad, because I thought, what's wrong with me? I mean, this is great, you know, we put it in our budget. I It's budgeted. It's, it's a good deal, and I've already paid for it, and I just, I didn't want to go. I didn't have, I didn't need to, and it didn't feel, and I was, I don't know, I was wanting to do other things. I was wanting to get started on another project, and anyway so I, I went around ra- ridiculously like I think like a lot of people I'm almost embarrassed to tell you like the thought pattern that went through my head but I thought I mean I must have spent I don't know three or four hours of random stray voltage you know running through my head what am I gonna do about this 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 you know this uh massage that I'm supposed to get so finally I just called and canceled the canceled the monthly thing I'm gonna go back there it was a good massage and they do a good job there I just don't want to I just don't want to do it every so I guess that's the that's the internal resistance and me and I spent a lot of time in mental space and what do you call it Rachel your mental landscape mental real estate you know I spent a lot of mental real estate on this stupid
0: it became an obligation right it wasn't it, did. It, it was no longer something you were looking forward to it became an obligation and that that even if a massage is something that you would you may typically really enjoy, like I would really love one right now. But once it becomes that obligation, and you see that charge hit your bank account, and exactly, like, oh shoot, I've got to go make this worth it. It becomes an obligation. And you don't want to do it anymore. <laughs>
2: yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, I do think the the idea of figuring out which format is going to replenish you is important. I think all of us, it sounds like, struggle with really honing in what is going to be that thing that restores us. But I think something that maybe even mothers struggle with. I think there's a lot of mom guilt out there. You know, for me, certainly when my kids were much younger, but still leaving the family to go do something for yourself, that, that can weigh on your mind. Like for me, one form of self-care that I can feel good about, I don't always want to do it. I mean, like, you know, I don't always want to do it, but something I can feel good about is going to CrossFit. I'm a better person all around. I'm happier. I'm a better mother. I feel better, look better. Exercise is good for me. But you know, the only time I can really get to CrossFit that isn't five o'clock in the morning and y'all look, it's just never gonna happen. Okay. <laughs> I'm not gonna become a five o'clock in the morning CrossFit person. I'm not, it's not gonna happen. So the only time I can really do it is in the evening. But you know, by the time you get there, work out, come home, that's an hour and a half away from the family in the evening. And you know, I really struggle with taking that time away. So sometimes it works out because you can drop off a kid at practice and then, you know, work out and pick them up. So, you know, it's a balance that I try to hit, like not going too much, not too little, but I will say now that the kids are older, there is a lot of quote self-care that I can do with them. So, you know, we'll go on a bike ride or a nature walk, sit and read together. When it's warm, we'll go listen to live music outside with the kids. But I think when your kids are super little, that's just not really the deal. You know, mothers of small, small kids really need to get away on a regular basis, even if just for an hour. And I did do that back in the day, you know, even if it was just going to the grocery store by myself. So I really encourage mothers to try not to feel bad about that and be mindful when you're trying to be by yourself, enjoy that moment, and then be present and mindful when you're with your
0: kids. I know, I feel like we could do a whole episode just about this, but both of you kind of alluded to it. And I see this becoming more and more of a hot topic uh, among my friends and, and, and kind of the internet spaces that I'm in. Um, you know, I'm, I don't have kids of my own yet, but you both mentioned mom guilt. How have y'all kind of balanced that need for self-care with, this this overwhelming feeling of mom guilt sometimes. I mean, this this is something I've always really, really admired about my own mother-in-law. She, she talks about this a lot of when, back in the early nineties, when my husband and his sister were young, like she would do those, just unapologetically get away sometimes and do those things before it came to like a, a boiling point kind of situation where she had to get away. She had to, to be, take some self-care. You know, she is a massage queen like that is her thing she gets a massage I think every week and she's done that for years because that's what she needs and that's what she knows she needs what are some tactics that, that y'all have found to be helpful in in balancing that that need for time for yourself and then time with your families
2: you know I'm sitting here thinking about this and I hope Rachel has some brilliant <laughs> thing up her sleeve because it is just really hard it's really, really, really hard because the the reality is, especially when they're young and everything that every, their whole life is dependent on you. There's just no way around the fact that you, you got to be there. A lot of time, a lot of the time you got to be there. And, and, and there's never with kids, you can get into a schedule and schedules are good, but there's always something. There's a, a fall, a you know, a, a, something happens at school, so you got to go deal with it or, or play school or mom's day out or or there's a, a sniffle. And nowadays, you know, the sniffles are a problem because you that interrupts. So they wake up from the nap early. They they don't take a nap that day. I mean, there's just it's a never ending thing. And I think that moms do struggle with it a lot. And dads, too. Dads, too. You know, because dads are you know dads want to be involved, too. But I don't know that I have a real good answer other than, I think it's for me anyway, it was a lot of muddling through it and trying to, even through those hazy moments when you're exhausted and you're tired and you've, you've had a bad night, the baby or the toddler's had a bad night or everybody's in diapers and you you know, your, your trash cans overrun and your kitchen stinks. And, you know, I mean, there's, but you just take a moment, try to catch your breath Um, maybe, you know, the baby will be okay crying for a minute or two. You know, if you, if you have to get the baby in a safe place and go grab a five minute shower, you know, nothing's going to happen in five minutes (laughs) that's going to hurt the baby. So, but if you don't spend a little time taking care of yourself, you know, things can go south in a hurry and it, and it doesn't stop when they get older. I do think it gets a little easier because as Rachel said, you can do things with them, but taking, taking a little time to do whatever it is to nourish your mind, body, and soul, trying to inject some happiness in your life. When, when it's, it's, let's face it, it's not always happy. It's rewarding. It's wonderful. You know, it's all worth it, but every minute of every, you know, when you're changing diapers, I don't necessarily think you're just super happy. I'll speak
1: to maybe a practical tip for that stage of of having older kids. You know, Mary Scott really spoke to the babies and diapers stage, but you know, for us, we've got five kids. Each one of them plays three sports. They're in music and they're in scouts. And so, you know, our Saturdays, our Sunday, really, I mean, the entire week is there's activities. And so I've gotten, this is what I would, I would say to folks is, you know, figure out simple pleasures that you can incorporate into all of your responsibilities for me. Like I'll do, last Saturday, we were doing a, a scout thing. Tons of people, tons of kids. There was an award ceremony. Most of the awards ceremony, my kids weren't involved. Now they were present. They were part of the community, but they weren't getting awards. I didn't need to listen. So here's what I did, y'all. I wore a beanie and I took my wireless headphones so I could hide them. <laughs> that's brilliant the beanie is brilliant the beanie is brilliant I had my beanie on and I was sitting there part of the community smiling and clapping when I heard other people clap but I was not listening to that for an hour I was listening to music that I wanted to listen to and then you know I'm thinking the other night I was sitting in my car waiting on my kid to get out a piano and I had saved some chocolate <laughs> for that moment to just sit in the car pull out my chocolate, enjoy that simple pleasure. And so I think being mindful about, you know, Hey, I'm going to be at this game for an hour. What can I, what can I listen to, or what can I take as a treat? You know, figuring out ways to maximize even very, very small pleasures is is super important to me.
0: I love those little mom hacks. Thank y'all for sharing those. That's so fun. Um, and like I said, I'm sure we could have a whole episode or series of episodes on that topic when it, uh, when it becomes, you know, time for that but it's it's something that I think is on a lot of our listeners minds and I know it's on a lot of my friends minds as 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 kind of my friend group moves into that season of having young kids especially So when I was doing research on this, one quote that really stuck with me was from Dr. I think I think you pronounce it Perpetua Neo. She said self-care has been fetishized and has become Instagrammable. And I think that really, in a lot of ways, speaks to the almost consumerism self-care that we see a lot of buy this face mask, buy this bath bomb, spend money on this thing, buy this uh, piece of clothing or this purse. And that is self-care. Um, But it turns out, or two things I want to say about this, it turns out that for people with with anxiety, kind of Instagram self-care can lead to worse anxiety as all the things that you feel like you're supposed to be doing to take care of yourself pile up while your responsibilities also pile up. So from from an article in Healthline I found, quote, for many people with anxiety disorders, A trip to the spa, a nap, or an hour of people watching in the park might be something they really want to do or feel like they should do. They try because they think they're supposed to or that it'll help them get their thoughts under control and stop worrying about everything, but it doesn't help them feel better. It doesn't stop the swirl of worry and anxiety and stress. It doesn't help them focus or calm down. So I think that's really important because anxiety is the most diagnosed uh, mental health disorder. I, ha- I hate to even call it a mental health disorder because I think a lot of, uh, most people uh, suffer for, from it or struggle with it at some point in their lives. But at any given time, um, the research I found said about 20% of the population. So a fifth of the population is is struggling with an anxiety disorder, what would be diagnosed as a dis- or anxiety disorder. That's a huge part of the population. So when we're talking about some of these, things that other people think will help you take care of yourself, maybe sometimes what you actually need is to talk to a counselor or a therapist or or somebody you trust about how to really address some of those deeper needs that cannot be touched by a bar of chocolate or a massage.
2: This is an area where I I sought some advice myself from an expert, uh, my sister. My sister is in an industry where self-care is at the heart of it. She is a Pilates instructor and a certified nutritionist in Savannah. And so this is her work. She's, uh, she's very, very successful in her work. And um, and so she knows this area really well. So she sent me a, a, something I want to read. Betsy Hunter says, or Betsy Hunter Hughes, my sister says, I feel self-care starts with self-love and self-empowerment. Recognizing self-destructive behavioral patterns and replacing those with self-improving ones. For example, where do I see myself in 10 years or 20 years? Do the behavioral patterns match where I want to be or who I want to be in 10 or 20 years? This can be on a macro or micro scale. In my business, it is common that I see people who, I see people who over-exercise. Uh, this is destructive versus caring. I guide people in self-care in the form of movement in every session. Some resist, but I insist. Without self-care, our bodies and our minds will not possess a glorious sense of power. To me, self-care is balance. Not too much, not too little, just enough. Um, I do think you have to kind of get to the heart of this question for yourself. And it is really important, I think, for people that have that maybe suffer from anxiety or other, you know, real issues. Over exercising, um, eating disorders. I mean, we we can. It's it's important here because you know, getting a massage or a toe pedicure or a you know, or going for a walk or you know, these little these little things may not be enough. Now, do they help? Yes, um, but I think this is a subject that is that is deep and wide and much more pervasive with much more spider webbing out to different subjects. But anyway, that's, that's where Betsy leaves it. Self-care is balanced, not too much, not too little, just enough. I love that.
1: I'm glad you brought up the stats about anxiety affecting people, Liz, because I think that especially through COVID times, the stigma about just admitting that And, you know, getting, getting professional help if you need it has really lifted a lot. I I think most people would feel there's certainly no shame in seeking professional help, but there's something probably in the back of our minds still that don't, I know for me, at least don't like feeling weak in some sense. You you just don't want to feel that you have a weakness that needs addressing, but I think the key there is that if our minds aren't doing well, if we haven't addressed what's going on there, then we can't hope to think that a massage is going to make us feel better if we don't have our mind straight.
0: And I I think this is a good time to detour a little bit into neuroscience land as as you talk about getting your mind straight here you know, the more we learn about the brain, the more we figure out what makes us tick. And then when those kind of pathways get interrupted, what some of those issues might be, our relationship with dopamine is no exception. And I think it's the thing I want to talk about just really fast is that, um, how dopamine actually works is not how we think it works. So it is considered a, a reward chemical, but the weird thing is that dopamine is released before you actually get the thing that it's anticipating. So uh, yeah. So here here's the example that I read about is you know sometimes when you're just feeling real, real puny and you just say, oh, I just want, I want that piece of chocolate or I want that bite of cake. When you get that cake out. That before you get that, put that first forkful in your mouth, the dopamine is released. It's not actually a response to the sugar or to the warm feelings of having that cake that you're know, the memories that might bring up of having your favorite cake. It's just, Ooh, I'm rewarding myself by getting the thing that I want. Um, so there's there was some research I found about how to almost <laughs> trick yourself into releasing that dopamine without actually doing the things that are going to make you feel crappy in the long term. Because I don't know about y'all, but if I have a bunch of sugar, I feel worse an hour later than I did before. If I spend An an hour and a half scrolling through TikTok because I want I want to get that dopamine release, Um, even if that's not exactly what I know I'm calling it. It's just like, oh, I want to relax and let my mind water for a little bit. I feel worse afterward because of all the time I just wasted. But so there are ways to almost trick your brain into releasing the dopamine without having the
2: the harmful effects later. It's really really interesting. That is interesting because what we're trying to figure out is what is really what is self care what is it? What is it? And I don't think it might be, you know, the things that are showing on social media and what the world says, but there might be some tricks. There might be some things that you, that for you are self-care for you. That dopamine response is, um, is there, but, but might not be for another. So I, what are the tricks? That's what I want to know.
0: Yeah. So According to the articles in Psychology Today and World Health Organization and other sources that I found on this topic, a, a pattern began to emerge, and it's not rocket science, guys. Um, the, the proven effective things that we call, that they call self care, self care, are really more of what we think of as almost like health maintenance, things like going on a walk and getting some sunshine, exercise in general, making healthier food choices. And then I love this one, not overloading yourself with commitments that you'll come to resent. And the bottom line is all of these things that are not glamorous. They're not Instagram. They're not, let me show off this thing I did to take care of myself. They are the basic building blocks of, I hate to say it, adulting. And (laughs) we often put them to the side. So I feel like that's almost a, a letdown in some ways, but in other ways, it it, it is, it is really encouraging that maybe it's a lot more simple than we have made it out to be to take care of ourselves. Now, I don't want to make any bones about this. It still takes time and sometimes making those appointments with yourself to go get that exercise. Rachel, you talked about some of the sacrifices that you've made to get the exercise that you need. I'm meal making meals is something that I don't have a whole lot of energy to do right now. But when I do, I feel better because I'm fueling myself in a way that's going to you know, set me up for success in the, in the long term. Because I'm not going to have that blood sugar roller coaster. Are, what are some like when you have when you have time to do some of these true scientifically proven self care tactics? What do y'all do to, to to help you relax, rest, and restore it, and really take advantage of them?
1: You know, another one that's just it's scientifically proven is laughter. Laughter just like dumps a bunch of dopamine into your system. And so I love that. Yeah, you know, somewhere along the way too, it's interesting. I have realized <laughs> this is probably surprising, but how very much I love stand-up comedy. Of the Jim Gaffigan, Nate Bargatze sort, you know, like hilarious, edgy, but not raunchy. So in recent years, my husband and I have started watching a lot of stand-up comedy live, and then on Netflix specials because I think we both really, you know, it's not rocket science, like you said. We feel restored by laughing hard. So I love that you can literally just pull up a comedian. And immediately inject that laughter into the moment. And it goes so, so far for me and making me feel great. And, you know, if I could have like more of anything in my life, it would be more humor. I love people who can make me laugh. I love it when someone lightens the moment with something funny. And I I just, I don't know of anything that makes me feel happier quicker.
2: I started watching that show, Catastrophe, which is not for little viewers. Y'all, I have been, I've had to watch it like without anybody around because it is so raunchy. But it is so stinking funny. And I have laughed so hard and I felt so good from laughing. So there, you're right, Rachel. There's something to that. Although it is a guilty pleasure because, you know, it's it's R-rated for sure. Maybe even worse than R-rated. It um, is a
1: guilty pleasure, but like me and Pepper uh, are gonna go see Bill Burr in Nashville in a few months. We saw Lisa uh, Schlesinger here in Huntsville a few months ago. She was awesome. Actually, me and Mary Scott went to a comedy show at stand-up comedy live here in Huntsville. It was it absolutely- was hilarious. Well, as I remember, the show was actually terrible and people got up and laughed, but we were like meta laughing. Like we were laughing that no one was laughing at the guy who was supposed to be laughing. Like that was funny. Uh, Oh, I love that. That's You know,
2: I I pulled an article uh, because I, I I've been really thinking about this this week. This is a much more complicated topic than I really thought. And I pulled this article from Everyday Health. And they had a list here, and we, we love lists at, at Bell Curve. So I'm going to read this list. Um, and I'll, I'll send you the link, Liz, for the show notes. But find what makes you feel centered. Number one, brainstorm how you can incorporate those things into your daily life. Number two, set goals for incorporated self care behaviors in every day. Number three, after seven days, evaluate. I don't know if seven days is enough, but after some period of time, you should evaluate and adjust and tweak your approach. Number five, I'm like, oh, you know, I like. That's like the same for everything, really. I mean, it's every project you'll ever do, but I think self-care is sort of like that. Self-care is, self-care is important. Happiness is important. If you're happier, you're less likely to, you know, do destructive things. And the antithesis of not being happy and centered and, you know, able to laugh and able to, you know, is self-destructive behaviors. And self-destructive behaviors, if you just think about it like that, we can easily recognize the opposite of self-care, self-destruction, and it's it kind of one or the other, right? You got to be taking care of yourself, putting the mask on yourself and doing things for yourself, or you're going in the the other way. I mean, there's no like, that little line in the middle is you're, you're going one way or the other. And I, I think it's good that we're talking about this because I want to be on the right side of this deal.
0: So the last thing uh, I want to talk about is community care, a wonderful podcaster based here in Alabama, Erin Moon, she she's affiliated with I think she's a chief creative officer or something like that for the podcast media group, which is one of my favorite podcasts, the podcast and then the Bible binge is their, um, their kind of more religious looking platform as well. She has a a newsletter on Substack called The Swipe Up, Um, and you can follow her on Instagram at Erin H. Moon. She's really a fantastic follow. She's very wise. She's a biblical scholar, and so she's somebody who I think has a lot of really good contextual advice and and how to kind of balance things, uh, spiritual things with, with the realities of what we're all going through here on Earth. She sent out something a couple of weeks ago on her on her newsletter that really, honestly, it was, is the reason I wanted to have this conversation. So she goes, you know, I love a holy shower, which is where she talks about getting in a nice hot shower with some essential oils. And so it's just a good sensory kind of cleansing experience. You know, I love a stupid walk, which is when you go on a walk, when you really don't feel like exercising <laughs> and then you feel better, obviously. Right. You know, I love a music hat and some CBD gummies. And I absolutely think those things have a place. However, I think we put too much pressure on self-care to do a job that community care was always meant to perform. For example, last week on her, the Swipe Up her newsletter and Accompanied Community, we had a teacher and a single mom who ran into a deflating and frustrating experience when she had to take leave her, from her classroom. She came back to discover a lot of her personally purchased things were broken or destroyed. Watching us clear that list was overwhelming because, yes, what a lovely thing to be able to take care of that financial need. But really the secret sauce in here is that every person who purchased a pack of dry erase markers or intoned a little prayer for this woman said, not today, we see you, you are not alone. We are here with you. And not only does that whisper to her that she's got people in her corner, but it also whispers to you and me that we can give a little time or money or kindness and shoot hope into the veins. So yes, take a bubble bath. But also beg God to give you someone to love, someone to support, someone who needs whatever small offering you have, and watch the Hope Parade come marching past your door. The thing I love so much about this anecdote is that community care really works both ways, and, and it's exactly the opposite of the me, me, me version of self care. And it turns out that Aaron's anecdote is backed up by science. In a a University of California, LA, and Yale School of Medicine research article uh, titled Pro-Social Behavior Helps Mitigate the Negative Effects of Stress in Everyday Life. Uh, That's a really fun way to put it, right? helpful. (laughs) Participants who engaged in other focused behavior, such as holding open a door, asking someone if they needed help, or lending a hand, just, you know, small little things, things that we would consider maybe just having good manners, reported better moods and lower daily stress levels than those who didn't. What do y'all think about that?
1: Uh, Liz, I, I love everything you just shared. I mean, it, it makes me think, because it is absolutely backed up by science and it makes me think of a book I just finished called Social Intelligence by Dr. Daniel Goleman. He's the author of Emotional Intelligence. Well, he wrote Social Intelligence as a follow-up and it's every bit as good. And I am floored y'all by the physiological effect that community or the lack of community has on us. So, who we are around literally shapes our health for better and worse. For example, he writes that among men getting angiography as part of treatment for coronary heart disease, those whose loved ones were reportedly least supportive had about 40% more blockage than those who reported having the warmest connections. Conversely, data, data from a number of large epidemiological studies suggest that toxic relationships are as major a risk factor for disease and death as are smoking, high blood pressure or cholesterol, obesity, and physical inactivity. Relationships cut two ways they can either buffer us from illness or intensify the ravages of aging and disease wow.
0: Yeah, <laughs> That's the only reaction out of that. Wow.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And this was also extremely interesting. I'll add that for couples who fight a lot and have stormy marriages, the negative health effects are much stronger. He writes for women. So he says that for patients with congestive heart failure, a stormy marriage is more likely to lead to an early death for women than for men. And that women are more likely to have a heart attack when they experience emotional stress like divorce on the other hand, when people have a positive effect on us are nearby or touch us, it can literally have a physical healing effect. So fascinating.
2: There, there's gotta be lots of research out there on the physical effects of doing good work for others. There's gotta be tons of, of research out there. And I, I can't believe that that can do anything but good for you and the person that you're, that you're doing good for. That's, That's just got to be true. And so it doesn't surprise me that there are effects on healthy heart and all sorts of other mental, mental, physical, emotional. That doesn't surprise me at all. I also think that when it comes to this kind of self-care, there's probably an element that is just out there we don't understand. And I, and I, that is interesting to me. I mean, there when you talk about community care, I, I think for some people there's a faith element. Uh, that's a that's a that's part of their faith. For some people, it's part of their creed. For some people, it's part of their their habit pattern because that's how they were raised. But I think there's. I mean, I, if you think about just take prayer for example. You know, there's got to be something healthy about centering yourself, taking a moment. You know, whether you pray the, through the Lord's prayer and it's centering for you, or whether you um, do it at night before you go to sleep, and it kind of winds you down. Or I mean, there's got to be healthy benefits to that. But I think in all in self care too, you know, we talk about mind, body, and spirit. Spirit. I mean, that's that's not the piece that gets. That's not the third leg of the stool that we can saw off and cut short. So I, I like that we kind of went here because I think that this this gets into that that question of how do you grow, you know, in every way, or how do you edify the mind and the body and the spirit. And we might not be able to explain the spirit piece as much or as well as we can the rest. But I do think it's kind of one of those things that you know it when you see it.
0: Thank you all so much for, for joining me in this conversation um, about self-care. And thank you all for being a, a big and, and joyful part of kind of my community. And um, I, I hope here at, at Bell Curve that we are in some way part of, of your community as well. You know, we're, we're kind of, a lot of us are coming out of this season of of our community lives being disrupted because of COVID, you know, there's some some people who are still really struggling with the idea of of meeting with people in person again for you know, for some of them the first time. Um, I, I would just encourage you to find community and to engage in community care in in whatever ways you can because like we said, the science is there. Thank you for for joining us in this conversation. And we hope to talk to you again in the coming weeks. Have a wonderful, wonderful month.